welcome back to You Know What I've Been Wondering. I'm Sarah. And I'm Jane. I've never thought about how much it really says about the two of us that you're a white wine drinker and I'm a red wine drinker. Oh. But I think to some people, that'd be all the information you need. I go red, but I need to be in the mood for it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how I feel about white. White puts me to sleep. Red puts me to sleep. Mm. We got to know what you have to know your hype up wine and you have to know your come down wine. Oh, white wine is my hype up wine. I feel the most happy and giggly after white wine. I actually feel the best after rosé, but I just have a lot of red right now. Mm-hmm. And red's the best, I think, for meal eating. Like, Jane and I just had a meal together. Yeah. <laughs> Jane and I are doing this really fun activity where every night this week we're FaceTiming and cooking the same meal at the same time. And so far, it's been revelatory. It's been a hoot. <laughs> all, of, all of Jane's issues have been... Actually, I wouldn't say all of them, but, like, key issues have just been differences in equipment that we have. Mm-hmm. So, like, today there was a big part with shredding carrots, and Jane was like, well, I don't know how I'm going to do that. How did you do the carrots? Did you just cut them with a knife? Yeah, I just did real thin slices. Nice. I thought we had a potato peeler and to, like, do carrot ribbons, and I couldn't find it. But then, like, she didn't have the proper tray for a circular pizza. It was the whole thing. (laughs) I love bonding. Also, our subtle differences in the ingredients that we bought, even though we both went to Whole Foods, has also added a lot. I well I didn't just go to Whole Foods I went to Trader Joe's first and then I went to Whole Foods for whatever I couldn't find at Trader Joe's just out of an uh, effort to save money but who knows if I did because there were some things I bought too uh, like the carrots Mm. because I didn't realize that carrot tops were part of a carrot you have to buy carrots to get a carrot duh (laughs) like all of this seems obvious now I also was like you should call them carrot stems Carrot tops literally made me, I was picturing like, like you take a carrot, you slice off the top bit, but still part of the hard orange part. And then it's like mm. flat and maybe they like cook it for you. I think stem would be inaccurate because stem, a stem is something that um, a fruit, a a vegetable or a fruit grows from, but the carrots Mm. don't grow out of their stems. The stems come out the top. Okay. So carrot leaves. Oh, okay. <laughs> the green part of a carrot. The part you pull out. The part, the part you never see anybody munch on. That's what we're going to eat. Anyway, come come listen to our new food podcast. We're going to do recipes and review them. Um, it's going to be great. You guys are going to love it. From the kitchens of Sarah and Jane. It'll be cute. <laughs> um, we're both currently like red in the face and sweating because... The pizza had to be, had to have the oven at 475 and my- That affects your whole kitchen. Yeah. My kitchen was war. Yeah. It affects your whole kitchen when you cook at a high temperature like that, for sure. Yeah. Especially when the, like, we had the oven on for a full hour or so before we even got the pizza in. Oh yeah. Cause we preheated it and then it took us a, at least it took me a while to make the dough a pizza. Italians will be shaking their heads at me. Pizza makers will be shaking their heads at me. Because shaping the dough took me far longer than I'd like to admit. It kept making weird shapes. No matter how much I tried to make it a nice oval or circle or what have you. All of my issues today had to do with we had to make this pesto from scratch. And the blender was like, absolutely not. <laughs> it really was. Yeah, it would not make the pesto, which was disappointing. But It was like, I could chop up these greens you know, a little bit for you. But yeah, pesto? But pesto, mm. no, no, no. Um, anyway, you, you live, you learn, you know? Yeah. Are you, do you have anything else to report? 
Uh, oh, well, I'm double vaccinated now. Yay! Yeah. Um, Does I that got mean my... you're going to come visit me? I'd like to. I'd need to figure out how to do it, though, because I'm scared of driving in New York. <laughs> well, you could meet me outside. Well, the other way we put your car. I was like, you could meet me outside the city, but then how would we get your car Yeah, into the city? Just, just, just go to my mom's house. She'd love to see you. Aw, I'd love to see her. Well, that's great. I'm so happy that you're double vaccinated, Jane. Yeah. How are you doing, Sarah? Anything else for you to report? I don't really have anything to report. I'm okay. Um, I got an email today that was like, hi, I don't know if I talked about this on the podcast. I got into Columbia and they were like, oh, you need to confirm your spot, which I thought I had because I put down my tuition deposit, but I hadn't actually replied to the letter saying yes. And I was like, thank you for emailing me. That would have been really bad if I didn't like formally say yes, because my answer is due on Thursday. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we've officially done it. The deposit is down. I've said, yeah, girl, I'm going. You're going to have two master's degree. You're, you're so cool. And an advanced certificate. Not to toot my own horn, but I work Ooh. really hard. <laughs> You know what, Sarah? I think I love the idea of you tooting your own horn. Toot it all day long, sister. <laughs> it's my favorite new instrument. I love that horn. Sarah's horn. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be like, I'm amazing all the time. Because like part of the reason I'm able to do these things is because I have the resources to do them. But on the other hand, I do work incredibly mm-hmm. hard. Yes. And the reason why I don't mind you tooting your horn is because you are a humble person who does not spend all of their time tooting their horn there are people out there who i'm like turn put your horn away for a day (laughs) give somebody else a horn like (laughs) but sarah every now and then will like play a nice melody on the trumpet but not often (laughs) this this horn analogy went a lot farther (laughs) than i thought it was going to i'm going to be honest um should we should we get started Sure. Oh, I just thought of one more thing before we do. I wanted to give a quick shout out to um, Emmy, my old camper, who I posted online about, I posted on Snapchat about having my second vaccination. And she messaged me about how she's been listening to our podcast pretty regularly recently. And she said for the past nine months. And I was like, wow, I know, but I, I, I just had no idea. And it, I, she's, a, one of my you know one of my campers from back in the day and she's I got I have very fond memories of her I feel like I've known her since she was very little and now she's Aww. like almost a woman and I, <sighs> I feel is... like a mother um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for listening I I appreciate your you your listenership yeah sure. and say hi to all your siblings she's one of many <laughs> oh <laughs> good for her good for her um yeah. great Perfect. Now that we've done with that, are yeah. you are you ready to go? Yes. So, you asked me mm-hmm. about how we know about the nutritional information that's on the labels of food. Like, how do we know what's in food? Mm-hmm. And my first bullet point really jumps right into it. And it just has to do with a, a scientific process known as chromatography, oh. which is a scientific process that is used to determine what specific vitamins are present in different foods and it's a chemical process in which substances are passed through a column online they kept calling it a column but i was like can we just call it a tube i know what they mean though Mm. 
it's passed through a column and it's exposed to a solution or a chemical or a vapor which reacts with the ingredients in different ways most notably the all of the different things that make up that food will Mm -hmm. react to the substance differently and pass through it at different speeds some will totally stop and will just like stick to the sides of this tube some will pass right through some will pass through but much slower so it just separates out all of the ingredients so you can see how much of the different vitamins there are you can measure them and observe them okay following that is one method but that mostly has to do with like very specific like minerals and vitamins and things that are Mm. present there how do we know how many calories are in something was something we touched on yeah at the end of last episode and (laughs) i i was describing it wrong i wasn't totally off (laughs) okay uh no well a calorie is it's discussed kind of incorrectly because it's not really a thing or it's not like a a you like it's not like something you can me- that has measure or weight. It's a unit mm-hmm. of energy. Okay. Yeah. If something is one calorie, that's not a that's not a weight. That's not an amount. That means that's the I guess it is an amount. The amount of energy that it contains. So okay. the calories in food they're actually technically kilocalories. Yeah, calories. I know in Europe it's they're listed as kcal. Yeah. And kcal is like the scientific abbreviation and mm-hmm. really like yeah, Europe sounds like they got it more because we just say calorie in america because it sounds more like layman's term and easier to understand yeah. even though i really don't and, see and we don't use, calorie and we don't oh, use the kilo yeah that's yeah like a, we don't use the trick. imperial system or the metric system so why would we we really should it's so much easier to understand i think we should the full word is kilocalorie and one kcal or kilocalorie is the amount of energy required to heat one kilogram of water by one degree celsius Okay. The process that I was discussing, which I feel like I heard from like Hank Green or something. Mm-hmm. I was thinking it was like they literally like light it on fire and they see how long it takes for it to like be <laughs> like gone. Right, right. <laughs> it's which would be more exciting. It really would be. If that was just the place they sent things to be burned. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> Every time they come out with a new brand of Cheetos, they have to send it to be burned. <laughs> to be lit on fire. Yeah. And that's why they call them flaming hot. <laughs> this is such an absurd and non-scientific conversation. I know. I'm sorry, everyone. Okay. <laughs> well, there is this process where they use this mm-hmm. device called a bomb calor- calorimeter. Wait. Calorie meter? (laughs) Calorimeter? (laughs) Oh, that's spelled. It's like C A L O R I M E T E R. Calorimeter. Calorimeter? Wait, it has to be. No, because it's not C H. Wait. (laughs) Were you going to say it's chalorimeter? No, because because I'm thinking of like chlorine. Oh, whatever. No, yeah, no, it's definitely like calorimeter. But it could also be calorimeter. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, all scientists. It doesn't matter. Calorimeter, calorimeter, calorimeter. Um, (laughs) calorimeter. I barely know. (laughs) I'm. I. We are unhinged. (laughs) 
car. Oh my god, that really got me. I hardly know her. On Hinge, we are. Oh my god, I need to. I need to stop. Okay. Okay. All right. So there's this device called a bomb calorimeter, uh-huh. or however you say it, and it's a sealed container surrounded by water in a larger container, uh-huh. and the temperature of the water is gradually increased until the food that is placed inside is burnt off. I tried tried Googling what burnt off means. Does that mean like burnt up, turned to ash? Does it go away? Like, yeah, what, what happens to it? Off mean? Does it like turn? To, but I, I think they like it's until it changes substance, like until it's mm. not itself anymore, until it's broken down. And the increase in temperature required to make the burn-off happen is the number of calories that it took. Is like how they determined the kilocalories determined to break down that food. Uh-huh. Now, that's kind of an older process that's not used 100% of the time. And in the 90s, scientists realized that that system isn't perfect because a food might take a certain number of calories to be broken down using just heat. But oftentimes the human body doesn't digest all of something we eat. Sometimes it'll pass um, a fair amount of it. Like if something's really high in fiber, uh, Mm -hmm. then our body will digest some of it, but not all of it. And it'll just like get rid of what we don't digest. So we're not really using as much energy as it would take to totally burn that substance up. Okay. So a majority of the time, what food companies do in the U.S., uh, is they look at this huge database that the USDA has mm-hmm. on the scientific breakdown of like a million different types of edible substances. And okay. they look at the number of calories listed there. And then they do sort of cal- calculations based on the amount of carbohydrates in the food and the fiber content. Okay. And based on those calculations, they determine the actual number of calories to okay. list. All of this, I think, is a good reminder for everyone, mostly myself, (laughs) that the purpose of consuming calories is that the energy in the food is converted to energy in your body. In your body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if you are cutting calories, you still need to make sure that you are eating enough calories to function. The recommended number of calories to consume in a day fluctuates based on how active you are and what your lifestyle is like. But the according to Google, the absolute minimum you could eat to be a healthy functioning human is 1,200 calories per day. Mm-hmm. So if anyone tells you to eat less than that, like don't listen to them and please like bear in mind that you need food to survive. Mm-hmm. And if you're tr- if you are like tracking your calories, it's probably better to try and keep it to around 2,000 is the number that is thrown around a lot. Uh, But again, it depends on your needs and your lifestyle. Talk to your doctor. So the database from the USDA that I mentioned is actually a really important source of information for this entire topic. Uh, And it's not just the USDA, but similar organizations around the world. Um, I, I know another big one is one that the Netherlands has. They have these big databases where they've cataloged a very extensive collections collection of foods and food Mm -hmm. ingredients and anything you might eat. And 
in general, food companies will assemble their list of ingredients of their food, which they'll know from just like having made it or having done tests on it. Mm -hmm. And then they will use the database list of nutritional facts and be like, okay, we have this and that has this many, this much iron. So that that plus that, you know, they calculate the the totals of everything. Yeah, I'm following. That's not to say that there's never scientific testing done. Um, because interestingly, despite the fact that sometimes there's like a substance that like the, for this example, I'm gonna talk about milk, like (laughs) James enemy, (laughs) my enemy, just because someone's like, okay, we're putting whole milk in there. You can't just like look up how many, like what's the nutritional value of milk, find out the ingredients, put it in your thing. And we have this much of it. So that we have this much of what they say, because fun fact and I just learned this today. I think it's fascinating. Cow's milk that is milked in the summer is apparently very different nutritionally from milk that is milked in the winter. Wow. I know. What a I'm cool ass- fun fact. I know. I'm assuming it has to do with the fact that, you know, the purpose of cow's milk is for feeding baby cows. Right. Um, that mother cows probably have different hormones going on in order to meet different needs for their babies mm. in the winter. Like for in the winter, they need to help them like gain weight so that they can stay right. warm. And in the summer, maybe they need them to have faster metabolism. So they like produce a lot of hormones to help with that. Mm. That's cool. That's yeah. a good fact. So in general, every nutritional component, um, that they measure, like there is a, a specific scientific process across the board. What they do, there's a specific scientific process that's just uh-huh. we take the food, we expose it to a certain chemical. If it reacts this way, it means it has this much of that thing in it. Okay, <laughs> that's a real layman's terms. No, way I got it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> yeah. And they have, like, a test for every type of thing that they are looking for in there. Also, I resent being referred to as a layman. I'm a lay woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then they, so, yeah, they see the chemical reaction that happens when they do all their tests, and then they analyze the results. That's really all that I could find on how they find the nutritional information. Okay. And as a consumer, you know, just read your label. If something's a super scientific long word, you can Google it, see what it is. Yeah. Uh, it's probably online. If it's something, it's probably good for you to look up what you're eating. Um, and just see what you're consuming. I don't think you're like, probably. It's like, I don't know. Like, you could just, like, do it. I'm not, well, I'm not trying to be judgy at all. Like, diet is such a um, yeah. sensitive No, I, I, get what you, I get what you're saying. I don't want to be like, everyone should be looking at what they're saying. Because, like, sometimes, right. you know, you got to do what you got to do. For some people, that's very triggering. And I, I really yeah. understand that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of sort of the sensitivity of it, because that was really all the information I could find, I was kind of in a mood and wanted to talk about some nutritional myths that science has debunked. Oh, I love this. And here's a list of 10 myths that have been debunked specifically by the Mayo Clinic. Mm. The first one is that everyone should avoid gluten. Unless you have celiac disease or gluten intolerance, there's no specific reason to avoid gluten. Oh, big, big... um. My brain keeps saying preamble, but it's not that big, like... Precursor? Precursor, I guess. It's just that all of this, like, if I tell you, like, 
you've been told like the media tells you to avoid this and you really shouldn't you need it but like your doctor is telling you like don't eat this you'll die listen to your doctor i'm not a doctor yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. a doctor is different than media yeah as we discovered the non-gmo campaign was a marketing scheme so oh yeah okay so anyway so unless you have celiac disease or gluten intolerance there's really no reason you need to avoid gluten which is the protein found in wheat barley and rye Wheat and products made from other whole grains um, have really good nutritional benefits, including essential B vitamins and fiber. Uh, going gluten-free has been a really recent diet trend. However, um, gluten-free related weight loss is most likely a result of a very restrictive diet. Mm-hmm. And um, if you are losing weight, it's not because you are you got rid of gluten. It's because you are no longer eating high calorie junk foods. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not, ex- it's, it's a correlation does not equal causation type thing. Mm-hmm. I do know some people that avoid, like my mother at the moment doesn't eat gluten, but she does it because her doctor recommended that as something to ease joint pain, mm-hmm. which I, I don't think is, I'm not saying like, if you have joint pain, don't eat gluten. Like that's just what was recommended for her. So, right. <sighs> Uh, All of this is like, listen to experts, which I'm not. So the second myth we're debunking is that skipping meals can help you lose weight. Mm. This is when I really need to learn. This I might be getting a a little personal, but, you know, I just have a lot of disordered eating. And it's not that I I choose to skip meals to lose weight, but sometimes I have a lot of trouble motivating myself to (laughs) eat. And a lot of it has to do with... Self motivation and self, right? Yeah, you know, a lot. It's a whole thing. Yeah. Anyway, absolutely. But when you skip a meal, your metabolism actually slows down, so the food that you eventually eat won't be burned as efficiently. Mm-hmm. In addition to, you'll feel more sluggish, and by the time the next meal comes around, it's way more common to overeat mm-hmm. because you'll feel really ravenous. So the most healthy thing is eat consistent, healthy meals and or snacks throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think this wasn't what they said, but just listen to your body. Yeah. I'm really working on that at the moment. Like even if I have a really strong craving and I'm hungry, but what I'm craving isn't the healthiest thing in the world. Like a couple days ago I was eating ice cream and I felt terrible about that. And I was talking to a friend and I was like, yeah, they're like, have you had a meal? And I was like, I haven't, but I, I had ice cream. And she was like, well, that has protein in it. So that's like not nothing. Like, right. And the important thing was that you, that is that you fed yourself at the end yeah. of the day. That's what matters, yeah. you know? Yeah. Because like you said, calories are energy and you need energy and yeah. like you need that to survive. Yeah. Uh, the third myth is that eating fat will automatically make you fat. That's not true. The fat free and low fat diet trend is a thing that was sort of invented in the 80s and 90s a lot of people think that fat is this big evil thing and it it was really this big thing that was propagated by like the sugar industry Mm. Uh, because products were made that were marketed as low fat which technically were low fat but they were super high in sugar so they still weren't really good for you but being super afraid of fat shouldn't be the case because fat actually has beneficial functions it protects our organs it maintains our cell membranes and it promotes growth and development and it absorbs essential vitamins um fats are that all fats are not the same though there are heart healthy unsaturated fats such as 
olive and canola oil, mm. nuts, um, nut butters, um, avocados. I hate avocados, but a lot of people <laughs> love them. Um, but there are trans fats and um, fatty meats and high fat dairy products that are not as good for you. And okay. that's what you should really like maybe be keeping an eye on. But again, yeah. like don't like some, if something says non-fat, that doesn't mean it's good for you. Mm-hmm. The next myth. Olive oil is good for your heart. Yes. There's, the next, and that's the thing about the cholesterol is that there's good cholesterol and there's bad cholesterol. And cholesterol has to do with fat. Yes. Bust in these myths. Mm-hmm. What was what was the name of the guy with the beret on that show? I'm him. Oh, I don't remember. Okay, the next myth we're going to bust is avoid carbs if you want to lose weight. The low-carb diet trend, and it's kind of, again, trendy with the whole keto thing. Mm-hmm. Um it basically it gives carbs this bad reputation and that includes fruit and whole grains um individuals who follow really strict low carb diets do most like it, it will be successful for weight loss but then it also you're more likely to bounce back from that exactly yeah. and then again anytime anyone eliminates highly processed carbohydrates such as chips cookies bread and potatoes um, all these like big things. The reason you're losing weight isn't because you're cutting carbs. It's because you're um, cutting processed foods, essentially. Also, when because those diets are almost impossible to maintain, metabolism mm-hmm. is like a muscle that has to get worked out. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna see some change, but you, there's no there's no way to maintain that diet for the Forever. rest of your life, and the chances of you keeping off that weight are very slim. Totally, totally. The next myth is that a detox diet will clean toxins out of the body. Mm. There is very little scientific evidence to support any idea that a dietary cleanse will do the thing that it, it promises to do. The fact is that we don't need to cleanse our bodies. Our liver, our kidneys, our gastrointestinal tract do a very good job of detoxing our system every single day. If you're looking to rejuvenate your body, then you need to, rather than eliminate foods, you need to focus on eating more whole foods, drinking more water. And like I said, processed food is really the big enemy here um, Mm -hmm. and removing highly processed foods from your diet. I feel like I'm lecturing people on nutrition. Again, grain of salt. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Jane is also not a nutrition expert. Uh, no. Yeah. The next myth, you shouldn't eat anything after 7 p.m., not even a grape. Late. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you coming for grapes like that? Grapes are I don't delicious. know. That's just what the myth was listed as. Okay. Um, grapes have I, a lot have high water content. You shouldn't yeah. eat grapes. They'll make you one of, Yeah. One of my big issues lately is that I just, like, haven't had the motivation to eat dinner, which is why it's really good that I'm doing this thing with you. Um, so I, I've been eating a lot of really late dinners, I'm the dinner police. And I've had so many people being like, yeah, but then it's going to be impossible for you to sleep. But I've never really been a person that it takes a really long time for me to fall asleep, but whatever. Um, Anyway, well, late night snacking can be an issue for your metabolism. Um, It's not because of the time on the clock. It's more about how you're eating. And it's more common to, for because your brain is tired and when you're eating later to make not as healthy choices, eat mm-hmm. high fat, high calorie comfort foods. Uh, as before bed snacks but like if you're eating dinner really late at night and you're still making healthy choices like that's not gonna harm you at all mm-hmm. like in europe they eat dinner really late they eat dinner at literally 9 p.m 
almost done with our 10 myths. Um, the next one is that certain foods, such as grapefruit, cayenne pepper, or vinegar, can burn fat. A big apology, but there are no foods that burn fat for you uh, or make you lose weight more quickly or increase your metabolism enough to have any effect on weight loss. Um, diets that focus on having you increase the amount of a single food you eat, like those ones I just listed, are very restrictive and lack mm. a lot of the nutrients that your body needs. Yeah. And they're also really unsustainable. And any weight loss that you have as a result of them, it, it will reverse pretty quickly. You will def- mm. It's very likely that you will gain it back. Yeah. And a lot of it is, again, not it's not because you're eating this one thing. It's because you're only eating that thing. So you're not eating processed foods or a balanced like, all diet. of the other things. Yeah. Which the food pyramid is a scheme, but having a balanced diet is not. The food pyramid, LOL. (laughs) When they were like, you must eat all the bread. (laughs) (laughs) It was like six servings, wasn't it? It was like six servings of bread. And then it was like some fruit, some vegetables. Which a bagel is one serving. So it was like. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was like, you want me to eat six bagels? didn't make any sense so funny the next one is that the best way to decrease your sodium intake is to stop using the salt shaker Mm, this one mm. might be a lesson for my family because my mother never adds salt to anything and you have to see it every stage yeah there's something that likes really like in my learning about food growing up i never like had seasoned food my mom never wanted to like put salt in anything i think part of it i don't think it was the only reason but i think part of it was that she thought salt in excess was really bad for you. So she was like, okay, we don't need to salt stuff that we don't need to. But apparent, uh, in the 2005 dietary guidelines for Americans recommended having no more than um, 2,300 milligrams of sodium per day. The average American consumes 3,440 milligrams of sodium per day. But the problem is not as easy as taking a salt shaker away. Much of the excess sodium... Um, comes from salts added to processed, ready-to-eat foods, restaurant meals. Mm. Like your salt shaker is not where the majority of your salt is coming from. It's coming from the sodiums, like on the labels and those foods you eaten. Mm-hmm. Again, look at those labels. And the final myth is low-fat. I kind of said this before, uh, but low-fat mm-hmm. or fat-free products are a healthier choice. Not true. Many products labeled low-fat or fat-free contain added sugar or sodium to help make up for the loss of flavor when removing or reducing fat. In addition, I feel like I'm Adam ruins everything right now, but only because I remember learning about this from him. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's why I kind of was talking about him just then. In addition, right. fat helps with um, satiety. Satiety. Feeling satiated. Yeah. (laughs) Making you feel fuller longer. If you choose Uh a fat-free product to reduce the amount of calories you're eating, that will backfire because you will find yourself hungrier Mm. sooner. So always look at the nutrition label when choosing between fat-free, low-fat, and regular, and always pay attention to the sugar and sodium content of the foods you're buying. Great. Those are our myths. And then my last few bullet points are just kind of... (laughs) A rant about weight loss culture. <laughs> okay, sure. Love it. So, Hit um, me with it. Well, all of this, I, the reason why I wanted to bring it up is because a lot of those myths I just talked about were talking about how people seem to focus their diet around what will keep me the thinnest, what will keep my weight the lowest, how can I lose weight. Mm-hmm. 
And I just felt like I really needed to stress that weight loss does not need to be your goal. It can be. If your body, um, it's your body. And you, if you are working with a doctor or a certified nutritionist to lose weight, that's your decision or your medical need or what have you. But my point is that there are more and more studies that are showing that skinny does not equal healthy mm. and healthy is really sh what should be the goal at the moment. Um, fat phobia and weight bias are rampant in our society and in the medical community, despite science not backing it up. I'm not saying that doctors don't know what they're talking about. I hear so many people being like, well, doctors don't know when they're talking about nutrition. And I, I do think listening to scientists and doctors as, and nutrition experts is very, very important. All I'm saying is that this pervasive myth that being overweight is the like most unhealthy thing that can happen to your body um, it's right. become so um, in, like prevalent and part of everything we know, um, which it can be unhealthy at an extreme as anything is. But statistics show that many doctors tend to see your weight and assume that that is the biggest symptom you have and sort of like not hear the rest of your symptoms yeah. or prioritize that over other symptoms. There are countless stories of people who went into a doctor to talk about a different symptom and the doc and the doctor just said, well, oh, you need to lose weight. And then like, didn't spend much time. Mm -hmm. And I have heard, for women. yeah, yeah. Particularly for women. But anyway, there is, there are many incentives for doctors to like, if they walk to like, they don't have a lot of time. They have many patients to see. And mm -hmm. there are, I think financial benefits for them to see more patients and to spend less time with certain ones. Mm -hmm. And I think they are, and they are heavily encouraged if they are talking with an overweight or with a patient who is above a certain weight to encourage them to lose weight. And that's part of this big push to end the obesity epidemic, which is a problem. Mm -hmm. There are many doctors who are fighting on the side. They're fighting against fat phobia in this issue. And they're recognizing that a big problem is that mental illness is not treated with the same weight as um, health issues in as other types of health issues mm -hmm. in medical school and in um doctor's offices. And in many cases, when you have a patient above a certain weight and you push them, push them to lose weight, it is really damaging to them emotionally. And yeah. ultimately the emotional consequences will harm them much more long-term than their weight would have. Yeah. And so you really need to weigh the pros and cons as a doctor. And I know my doctor's really amazing at that. Yeah. Um, every time I talk to her, we're having a conversation and she really stresses to me, like I need that my mental health is just as important as the other aspects of my health. And she's right. at the moment, she is prioritizing that. And I'm really, really grateful for, to her for that. Yeah. Um, as I said, this is a very personal issue to me. When I was finishing this, my notes this morning, I was like tearing up. I was like, I'm not going to get through this, but I guess. You did. Go. You did a great job. I got my wine and I got my friend. Uh, so th that was my little, like I get a little information about what you actually asked about. And then a little bit of a rant. <laughs> no, I loved it. Thank you. Thank you for talking about that. I can't, I, I know that this is a very personal issue for you. And I really appreciate you taking a moment to talk about that. Yes. Thank you. And I know like. On the show. I, I'm not going to say names or anything, but like, I know we have a, a, like, I know people who were a larger weight than they are now mm -hmm. and had major health issues, went to the doctor, were told that all of their problems were caused by their weight, 
lost the weight and now have worse health issues because those other underlying health issues were not addressed because it was assumed that the weight was the problem. It's just, it's just such a horrible thing going yes. on right now in the medical community. And, and doctors are amazing. And I think it, like, I'm not saying all doctors are bad, but I just think it's something that should be talked about and Absolutely. awareness should be raised. All right. Well, I'm ready to lighten the mood if you are. Yes. Okay. So for our middle segment today, um, if you don't know, which you should know if you've been here for a minute, um, I love BTS. And today <laughs> I was watching, um, this is only tangentially revolved, um, uh, related to BTS. Uh, today I was watching their sh- their show that they do where they like play games and do activities. And they were doing this guess the song game. And the way that their guess the song game worked, I couldn't really understand because the instructions were in Korean and the English subtitles didn't explain it very well. But essentially Siri was reading them their own song lyrics that had gone into English, translated back into <laughs> Korean, and then Siri read it to them and they had to try to guess what the song was. Now I'm not Siri, but I- this inspired me for a game for you, Jane. So today, we're going to play a game for our middle segment. And the game is that you have to name the original lyric. But what I'm going to give you... Please don't be BTS, though, because I love them. Okay, I was like, but I have no idea what happened. No, No, because what I did was all the original original lyrics are totally in English. Cool. I put them into Google Translate. I translated them into Italian, which I then translated into <laughs> Japanese, which I then translated into Korean, which I translated back to English. Oh so it's a nice little translate. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so excited. So this is guess the guess this a song lyric and the song. Google Translate edition. Is there a category? Like is it a specific artist or there, genre? There, there are four or five different artists represented. These are okay. all songs that I know for a fact you know and like. Okay. They're bops that we enjoy together. They're okay. bops that you that you and I enjoy. I'm trying to think back to like our our like road trip playlists. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you the original. I'm gonna give you what I have and you have to try to guess the original lyric and the song title, okay? There are okay. okay, here we There's go. One song that I really hope is in there. Okay, here we go. Number one. There was a time when I was in love with love. Is it like a once upon a time? I believe it was a Tuesday. Oh, dang it. Well, that's just because that song's in my head recently because Fearless is song. the re-record is out. It's um, out. She's out. She's here. <laughs> you're gonna hear the melody and you're gonna hear, and you're gonna be like, oh. Okay. No, I'm not gonna sing. Oh, you're about to sing it for me. I was like, okay, I'm ready. No, you'll know. You'll know if I sing it. Um, there was a time in the past. I'm trying to think of like other ways to say that. (laughs) No, okay. I will give you a hint that there was a time is in the original lyric. It's the second part. There was was a time. I'm trying to think of like our big like artists that are like bangers. Like what One Direction songs? What Taylor Swift songs? What? There's a big one that you and I share that you that you haven't thought of. BTS, Lumineers. There it is. There was a time. There was a time when I was in love with love. <laughs> okay. What a- I'm going to give you another hint. There was a time when I was in love with love, with love, with love. <gasps> there was a time when I... Is it Gail song? Yeah. <laughs> the original lyric was there was a time when I when stood I in line. line for love, for love, for love. I loved this translation. Okay, number two. Here we go. It's like having lightning. It's your chance to find someone like you. Oh, I 
know exactly what this is. I'm gonna cry. It's like catching lying in the chances of finding someone like you. So, so can I have this dance? The, there we go. Can I have this dance? Very good. Okay. <laughs> good job. That one wasn't that different. All right. Number three is flying high in gravity. Is it defying gravity <laughs> from Wicked? I thought it was so funny that they were like, is flying. I put in the lyric, I'm flying high, defying gravity. And it translated to is flying high in gravity. It's like, no, she's not in gravity. That's the point. I recently saw, it was like a YouTube video that someone filmed and like put on TikTok, but it was an interview with Stephanie J. Block. Mm -hmm. And she was talking about like when Wicked was still like being workshopped and previewed. Mm -hmm. And she was like, there are lyrics that, are were lyric flubs that she had that became like the lyrics in the book oh. and like like moments where she was like too much too much too much to mention it was like her trying to find the words right in the script and like there's like oh, a couple interesting. Like that, that were just like her making a mistake and they were like oh we're gonna keep that everyone has to do that from now <laughs> oh interesting that's very interesting i like that fact i like that fun fact okay <laughs> this is great Turning around is a kind of roller coaster ride. <laughs> Turning around is a kind of roll- roller coaster. Ride. I'm going to tell you that roller coaster was the maintained lyric. The only, I'm like, my brain's going to like Whoa by Ali and AJ. Like a roller coaster. Whoa. No. <sighs> I was singing this song earlier today or yesterday. I've been singing it. Mr. Perfectly Fine doesn't have the word roller coaster in it. No, but you're, <laughs> you're on the right track, though. Oh, it's Taylor Swift. Oh, 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 um. Breaking down and coming undone. It's a roller coaster kind of ride. Yeah! I truly despise country music as a genre. I love Taylor and her country songs. <laughs> it's the kind of country we all want. Okay, you're going to know this one. Oh, okay. Can you wear the same clothes and take the same route for two days? <laughs> it sounds like a riddle. <laughs> Again, we take the same road, two days in the same clothes. I don't know just what you say if I can make all this thing go. Yeah, <laughs> there it is. I love that song. That's from Over Again. Okay, this is my this might be my favorite of them. I laughed out loud when this came out. Okay. What's up comes down. You should run as far as possible following my advice. what's up comes down you should run as far as possible following my advice this is one of our faves what's up comes down i'm shocked that um why can i not think of what it's called i'm a thief i'm a thief you can call me a thief stand up stand up is not stand up i'm surprised stand up's not in here um Try to change the order of some of the some of the phrases and see if that helps you. Like rephrase the sentence. Okay, you. Sh- you right now the phrase is you should run as far as possible following my advice. If you I, should listen to me and run. No, listen. Okay, I mean like <laughs> literally take the end of the sentence. Like I'm gonna rephrase it. What's up comes down. Following my advice, run as you should run as far as possible. Things are going to fall from the sky. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, this is not. 
something about River Plate. Literally, the phrases are almost exactly the same in the song. Almost exactly the same. I'm going to be kicking myself when you say this. Um, You really are. (laughs) What's another say, what's another way of saying what's up comes down? What's another way of saying that? What goes around comes back. What goes around. What goes up must come down. Take my my advice and run while you still can. There it is. Isn't that so funny? Following my advice, you should run as far as possible. Oh my God, I laughed out loud at that one. The curve was empty because I went a lot better than the curve. (laughs) <laughs> I know exactly what this is because I've complained to you about this lyric. Um, I, again, Taylor Swift's goddess is a queen, a lyrical genius, a poet. She deserve like she deserves a, a many more awards than she has, uh, even though she has many. Um, what she deserves <laughs> so ahead of the curve that the curve became a sphere. And my issue with that lyric, <laughs> it's from "This Is Me Trying" by Taylor Swift, is not that. It's just that that's not how geometry works like if she wanted to be saying like a curve kept going and turned back in on itself you should be like it became a circle sphere is three-dimensional where did the three yeah, but that's did... not a that's not a beautiful lyric nothing rhymes with circle i don't know well shania twain proved that you can put the word centrifugal motion in a song <laughs> and it's still a bop so <laughs> you bring up an excellent point okay <laughs> i hope you get this one this is probably our most niche song um, okay. friends have no friends crossing the river. <laughs> Is this from Trail to Org? <laughs> the Star Kid musical? Friends yes, don't let friends for friends the river. For the river. Take a Take ferry. A ferry. <laughs> yeah, it was originally uh, friends for the river. Which... But now it's friends have no friends crossing the river. <laughs> Because when you don't take your friend's advice and you cross the river, you're go- you're, yeah, you lose your true. friends. So you have no that's friends true. crossing the yeah, river. I would like to say that I was going to do I Want to Live on the Moon because that's, a, that's another Star Kid <gasps> lyric that you like. But it translated perfectly across three languages. So <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> so you that's nice. Under- universal understanding. I'm going to do, I'm going to save my, my favorite one for last. This one is, can you fly if I show up at your party? Do I like it? <laughs> is it if I could fly by One Direction? No. Oh, dang it. <laughs> That's a beautiful song, by the way. It is, it uh, is. No, it is not. I'm going to say it. If one more I time. could fly, wait, say it again. Can you fly if I show up at your party? Do I like it? Oh, is it Betty? Yes! <laughs> the lyric was, if I showed up at your party, would you I, have me? Would you want me? Where would where did the flying come from? I don't know! <laughs> How did it become flying? My car is named James after the name drop in that album, but James is a motherfucker and that song is the... The fact that Taylor Swift says canonically James and Betty get back together is infuriating. Yeah, they do. They have a long marriage. This is the last one, my favorite one. You are not safe. You do not know what for. <laughs> is it that one, that BTS song that's like, you're in danger? No, this is not, no BTS songs. Listen, oh, dang. you are not safe. You do not know what for. You're insecure. 
You know what for? You are not safe. <laughs> you don't know like, why. Right. I'm not safe around myself. I'm so insecure. <laughs> you pointed out to me that it kind of sounds like he's saying you're in the car with a French accent. French accent. You're in the car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, now that we've played our game, I hope that lightened the mood for you a little bit. Jane brought you back into some good, positive energy. Um, I hope Why, we- are we going to go back into the darkness now? No, 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 no. No, this is oh, going okay. to be interesting. So, I'm talking about the hollow earth theory, which, <gasps> again... I'm sorry, I totally forgot. I don't know. This is such a, it's a fun surprise. Go ahead. You know, you and I both are like, I'll believe any conspiracy for 10 minutes. So Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. listened to a different podcast episode about the hollow earth. And by the end of it, I was like, I'm convinced. And then I actually sat there and thought about it a little bit. And I was like, no, this isn't happening. Because you've already explained to me how we know, or we're pretty sure that there's an inner core, outer core, mantle and crust, right? Recently heard that um, there's the scientific community is kind of debating now, like how many layers there might be like more than we thought. Oh, and it might be like slightly it, the makeup of it is slightly, but it's not hollow. Regardless, we know that the, it is thick. <laughs> we know she's thick. Um, With two C's. Yeah, two C's. So I, I will. I do not believe in this theory. I'm going to present to you some some interesting information, but I think this is about as credible as the bird truthers. Maybe less. <laughs> I don't know. So the hollow earth theory is essentially a theory that the earth has an open interior space within it that it's like topographic. It's not just like an empty hollow space. It's like another world in there. And some people believe that it is also populated by a subterranean civilization. Obviously, there are many examples of a belief of some sort of subterranean world in ancient culture. Um, We are familiar with the Greek version of the underworld and the greek myth of the underworld and obviously we know about christian hell yeah lil nas x wrote a poll right on down yeah he wrote a poll right on down (laughs) and just the mere belief in mythology and religion that there is some lower space indicates to us at least some general belief that there was a place below the earth Mm-hmm. Um, and the, Nor- the Nordics also had a belief in this place, and they called it Svartalfheim, which we vaguely actually talked about in the um, the Norse episode. Yeah, mythology. This idea that there was an under-Earth was probably actually easier to believe when we thought the Earth was flat, because we knew yeah. that there was underground, so clearly there had to be something below us. Yeah, because now it's, like, sandwiched. Yeah, but pretty much as... Yeah, that's exactly On the side. thing. It was a burrito. That- Sorry. Yeah. Now we think now now they really like they, they truly do believe that it's like it's hollow that there's something yeah. sitting in the middle. Um. But pretty much as soon as we started thinking that the Earth was round, this idea sort of started to disappear from the popular vernacular. But there still are compelling examples of people believing in it. Um, there is a Celtic myth that is thousands of years old that a a cave which is marked by a bell tower on station island we know that the cave is there for a fact is actually an entrance to purgatory that was closed in 1632 which i think is pretty cool i'd like to go see that cave it's in ireland modern day ireland um in dante's inferno dante walks straight into hell which also indicates some sort of belief of a geographic location of the underworld um and 
Dante also describes um, the hollow earth as being created from the fall of Lucifer in the Inferno, that um, when Lucifer fell from heaven, he created a hole that continued into the earth, essentially, was his idea. And he, that was, um, Inferno was written in the 14th century. So again, they still believe the earth was flat, compelling evidence that, you know, when you died, there was a physical place that you were going to, or that hell was a physical place that, like, you could get to. Yes, that makes sense to me. Brazilian Indians who lived along the Parima River in Brazil, uh, modern day Brazil, claim that their ancestors emerged from an underground land and that many of their ancestors still remained inside the earth. And there is a general idea across all cultures and populations that this subterranean place, the hollow earth, is occupied by people or quasi people. Some people think aliens live there. Some people think they're humans just like us, but they evolved differently. Varying ideas about it. Um, but the reason that the hollow earth has been brought to my attention and was it's kind of being brought into popular culture right now is because Godzilla versus King Kong <laughs> very much advocates for the hollow earth theory and a, a huge part of the plot that there is a hollow earth and that this is where... Spoiler alert for Godzilla versus King Kong. This is where Godzilla and King Kong are from. Um, because creatures down there grow much larger, essentially. I guess I, kn- I always just thought Godzilla was like a big dinosaur. I don't know why. Yeah, essentially, like, yeah, like, essentially uh, the Hollow Earth is occupied by dinosaur-like creatures. Like I guess, I don't know Godzilla. why I, I was thinking it was like a Jurassic Park situation. I thought he was man-made. Godzilla and King Kong in this most recent franchise are ancient beings. They're once considered gods. So, but they come from, the, and it is revealed that they come from the hollow earth. And this was not an idea that was come up with by the people who wrote Godzilla versus King Kong and by um, James Gunn, who produced all the um, monsterverse movies as they are referred to but this this is a common uh, not a common theory but it is part of the general hollow earth theory that there are some sort of creatures living in there all of these myths about a hollow earth um these myths that i just talked about are follow the more popular theory that the hollow earth if there is one is one big open space in the center but there are some other cultures and some scientists who are hollow earth believers. I don't know how many of them are actually scientists um, that speculate that the earth is actually more like a honeycomb with caverns dug throughout. Oh, my question was if the earth is hollow and there's like a bunch of beings that live in there, is it like there's another really small earth in the center and that's like the, the, the floor or the ground or is there, no. like, a shelf on Antarctica that's, like, flat and on top of it? So, essentially, essentially, I'm going to go into this more, but they believe that there is a sun inside the middle of the Earth, that there's <gasps> another, like, like star, essentially, in the middle of the Earth. And, essentially, it's, like, a big, it's, like, two, uh, two valleys, but they're valleys that run the length of the Earth, and that when you're on the floor of one, you see the ceiling of the, you see, you see the, the other is the ceiling. Like there's some sort of like gravitational thing in the middle that reverses the gravity. They do a really good job of showcasing this in Kong versus Godzilla and what 
scientifically they believe could be happening in the scene when they go to Hollow Earth, which I'm sure you could find on YouTube somewhere. I had no idea that much was going on in this movie. I truly (laughs) thought it was just two big monsters destroying a city. (laughs) I will tell you that there were four movies before this movie, and I also had no idea that Hollow Earth was going to come up. But all of a sudden was like, oh, oh, nope, this is the theory now. And it all made sense, but it was still like, okay, now we're going into a whole new field. But if you're interested in seeing what it would look like, there are maps of it, and I think I think the movie did a good job of like making it scientifically accessible and what people think it looks like in there. <laughs> and how That's you like thing about Godzilla versus King Kong is the scientific accessibility. Yeah, you know, <laughs> my, it's also my favorite thing. But that, yeah, so that's the one that they ran with and what many versions of books about the Hollow Earth, whatever, perpetuate. Um, but there, there is this also this honeycomb theory. Uh, the, one of the more notable pieces of supporting evidence for the honeycomb theory is a story about the Incas, um, who, according to the myths that have survived from the Incas, believe that their ancestors came from the caves. And in passed down oral history, say that the uh, old Inca tribes used to use these caves to navigate through Peru and other areas of South America. Um, And one of the more compelling stories about these caves is that when the conquistadors and that bastard Pissarro arrived in I cannot stand the conquistadors. No, we can't stand the conquistadors. Many people can't, but they they were terrible. No, it's terrible. It's a terrible story. Um, When the conquistadors, and specifically Pissarro, arrived in Peru, the Incas had tons and tons and tons of gold that Pissarro essentially took advantage of them for because the Incas believed that Pissarro and the Spanish were gods because in their myths, gods, their gods were tall, bearded men. And the Spanish happened to be bearded when they show up. So they treated them like gods, gave them lots of gold. And um, then Pissarro essentially took advantage of their relationship and kidnapped and threatened their king. Um, and there is a legend that after this instance, when Pissarro kidnapped and killed one of the kings, there was, the Incas were a series of, of tribes under yep. one Inca nation. Um, when Pissarro held one of their kings or leaders at ransom for essentially billions of dollars in gold, the king's wife knew that Pissarro would kill him no matter what. So instead of giving him the gold, she hid this gold in these complex cavern systems, which were never discovered. And there are people who still excavate throughout Peru and South America, trying to find other areas of South America, trying to find this Incan treasure. Um, now, because because the Inca Empire was completely destroyed by Pizarro and the Spanish, it is impossible really to know if this was a true story or not, or like what what they mean by caves, what they mean by caverns. But some Hollow Earthers believe that this is evidence that they essentially traveled into the Earth and hid away this large treasure, mm. which is interesting, an interesting story. In my In, fifth grade class. In my in fifth grade, uh, it was only one teacher. In my fifth grade class, um, we had a major unit of social studies that was like half the class was assigned to learn about the Incas, and mm. the uh, or at least my group was assigned to learn about the Aztecs. I think one group got like the conquistadors, and one group got like a different Mayan, South American indigenous the Mayans. Yes, I learned about the Aztecs, Incas, and the Mayans together. Yeah. 
And we like, uh, and I remember being so loyal to the Aztecs. And then like later when I got to college and I took um, Latin American history, like a Latin American history class, I was like, oh my God, the Incas are so cool too. Like I was (laughs) so like loyal to the Aztecs. And I was like, I will not learn about the Incas. (laughs) (laughs) That's really funny. I know, like, oh. But in general, just like, you know, F you conquistadors, F you Francisco Pizarro. Yeah, learn some Latin American history. It's very upsetting, but important to know. In Native American mythology, it is said that the ancestors of the Mondan people also emerged from a subterranean land through a cave on the north side of the Missouri River. Now, there were similar myths to this from other Native American nations um, that were kind of circulating around the um, new, the the colonists in um, Europe. And so in 1781, Leclerc Milfort led, who I don't think was American, even though this was, he was in the United States to do this. Um, I think he was French, led an expedition with hundreds of um, Creek Indians to some caverns at the junction of the Red River and the Mississippi River, looking for the caverns like the ones described in the Mondans Native American mythology and that the Creeks had described in their own mythology. Um, and Milford claimed that in this area, he discovered thousands of caverns, or not thousands, he discovered caverns that could easily contain 15 to 20,000 people. <gasps> So they were huge, which people also use to say, yeah, there are caverns into the earth. There are these huge caverns. I don't know what became of said caverns, but he found them according to his journals from this expedition. I just had a thought. Yeah. And it's probably dumb, but there sort of are caverns into the earth for ants. They're just real little. But to them, they're huge. Well, well, yeah, but the but the ants can't <laughs> go through the earth onto the other side. I know. I'm just saying. To okay. them, they have a whole underworld. Like, you're right. You're right. Um. So that's sort of the, some of the evidence surrounding the honeycomb theory. But like I said, the more prominent hypothesis about the hollow earth is that it is just one empty space in the middle. And this hypothesis was first proposed in 1692 by none other than Edmund Haley of Haley's Comet fame. <gasps> the same guy. Now, like I said, there was there are cultural artifacts that suggest that before 1692, people already had a general belief that the Earth was hollow in the middle. Um, I had mentioned Dante's Inferno. Um, I also would like to mention that Shakespeare had a line about that in, that that suggests that the Earth may be hollow. So this was like a popular it was like a theory. It was a theory. You know, it wasn't like, like people weren't sure. It wasn't like they how sure they were that the Earth was flat. It wasn't like that level of confidence, you know. But it was a theory. But so Edmund Haley. Um, was researching why true north and magnetic north are different. If you don't know, true north is the actual northernmost point of the earth, and magnetic earth is where the, how the axis tilts. And he was trying to explain this. Why? why oh, my gosh. Why I didn't know that. Yeah. Because the, the, the location of the poles is different depending on how the earth is tilted, depending if on the you, time of I, I know you guys just hear us, but Sarah's doing a fun little... I'm doing a little, like, doing a little hand gesture. Yeah. It looks like she's like shimmying kind of, but slowly. It's nice. It's fun. Oh, thank you. Thank you. 
And he believed that the earth was about 500 miles thick and consisted of, or contained rather, two inner concentric shells that had a full atmosphere in between. And he theorized that each of these shells had its own magnetic poles and sphere inside that were rotating at different speeds. So <gasps> he thought that there were two planets within our planet, essentially. That's dope, though. I mean, it would be cool. This, <laughs> it's not true, but it's cool. I would like to say that ultimately... Like, it wasn't like he was going around and being like, there are planets inside of us. He didn't, I don't know if he even really thought of them. He, they had an atmosphere, but I don't know if he was thinking of them as, like, habitable spaces. It was more that he thought that there were these balls inside the Earth that were changing our magnetic field. So this, this had everything to do with magnetism. Like, I, we have to give props to this guy as a scientist. Like, he literally was the one that figured out Halley's Comet was going to be, was going to keep being a thing. So, like, mm -hmm. good for him. Um... So this was his way of explaining a phenomenon he couldn't understand, which haven't we all been there? In 1818, like 120 years later, John Cleve Sims, Symes, I actually think it's Symes, suggested that the shell of the earth was actually 810 miles thick with 1,400 mile wide openings at the poles. And this theory is still the basis of the hollow earth theory today. 800 miles thick, and at the top of the Earth and the bottom of the Earth are these huge holes that will lead us down into the hollow Earth. Like little funnels. I'm suddenly having flashbacks to when you made me watch As Above, So Below. It's nothing like As Above, So Below. He also was the one that theorized that inside the hollow Earth is a, is a topography not completely different from our own with mountains, greenery, animals, and a sun. So, like, to them, the sky is still blue? Like, I keep picturing, like, yes, rock there, above, there is a but... sky. No, there's, like, there's, like, a sky and there's a sun. But then when you look up, that's the other side of the earth. You could also see the mountains on the other side. Because it's, <gasps> it's, it's like, think, think of yourself as standing inside a circle. You're at the bottom of the circle and you see the top of the circle. Right? That's what it was like. It was like being inside a ball. But they think that's the only layer? Like, they don't think we're inside? No, we're on the outside of the Earth. This no, I know, but what I'm saying is, like, using their logic, uh -huh. wouldn't it also be possible for us to be... No, because we don't see mountains upside down above us. I get okay. Oh, okay. No, I didn't do a lot of research into this, but there is a theory called the reverse hollow Earth theory that believe that we are the ones that are inside the hollow Earth. That, like, we already <laughs> Ooh, exist inside the hollow about. Earth. Ooh, it's creepy. No, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of it. It's not, it's not my favorite. So Symes' belief, yeah, Symes' belief became the basis of the contemporary hollow earth theory. And he eventually became the most famous of the hollow earth, quote unquote, scientists for his theories. Um, and it is now widely believed that there are hidden entrances to the hollow earth at the poles, although they are not as large as 1400 miles, because if they were, we'd probably be able to see them from space. Um, so that part's a wash, but they do believe that there are that there are some sort of entrances at the poles. Well, like there are caverns, but they're not that big, you know. No, they believe that there's a hole literally going. It's like a funnel that goes through, opens up to the hollow earth, and then funnels back out of Antarctica. That was the belief. In 1864, Jules Verne published his book, Journey to the Center of the Earth, which began a new genre of subterranean fantasy fiction. Um, other examples include H.G. Wells and Call of Cthulhu. Cthulhu lives 
in a subterranean land, mm-hmm. um, in a subterranean space. All the so it it be, it became a popular theory. Now I do, I do not know what year this happened because I couldn't find this information in writing. I only found this information from the other podcast I listened to. But there is this story of two brothers who traveled to the North Pole by boat, attempting to find the entrance to the Hollow Earth. And again, this is a story. I don't remember when this happened. Okay, I like what years. But it was after Symes's theory had come out. So sometime in the 1800s. They traveled by boat up into the North Pole, got stuck, nearly died, and then claimed that they were eventually saved by creatures who were on this huge boat who came out and saved them, rescued them, but they were like seven to nine feet tall. And they claimed that they were taken into the hollow earth. They lived there for years. And then they exited the hollow earth on the Antarctica side. But they got trapped in a storm. The older brother died. The younger brother was found and rescued. But because he sounded crazy for saying this happened to him, they put him in in an asylum for 28 years or 22 years. But he never backed down from his statement that this is what happened. So this is this popular story that people use as evidence. They're like, he never backed down from his belief that he went to the hollow earth. Like if he was making it up, he would have yielded eventually because of the way he was treated, but he never did. Amongst most hollow earth believers, um, there is a notion that the inside of the hollow earth is a lush tropical paradise that very likely houses an advanced race of humans slash aliens slash giants. There are people that believe that the people who gave um, ancient civilizations with incredible technology, they came from the hollow earth and went back into the hollow earth. Um, Some people might believe that the aliens who built the pyramids live in the hollow earth. Pretty much there is a variety of, of ideas about who is there but amongst all those varieties they are used to explain weird phenomena or weird developments that have happened there are some people who even believe that the ufos that were seen um at roswell came from the hollow earth so (sighs) you you, and we never know but we do um (laughs) (laughs) we do um, in 1906, William writer William Reed, who is also a very popular guy amongst the Hollow Earthers, wrote Phantom of the Poles, which supported the idea of a hollow Earth, but he didn't believe in interior shells or an interior sun. He was just like, nope, there's just stuff in there. That the subterranean yeah. creatures were like nocturnal, essentially. Uh-huh. Um, spiritualist writer Walburga Lady Pagay, that's like her full name wrote her book Colloquies with an Unseen Friend in 1907. Um, and she was another early writer to mention hollow, the hollow earth hypothesis. But she claimed, get this, that the cities lived beneath a desert, which is where the people of Atlantis moved to. And that everyone down there was in Atlantis. <gasps> I, was think, I was literally going to be like, oh, did they? does anyone think the people of Atlantis went down there? Uh, she did. And she also claimed that it, the entrance to the subterranean kingdom will be discovered in the 21st century, which it was because we know that Atlantis is in Mauritania. So there you go. We discovered it. Well, we did. But now I'm really worried because it's just the beginning of the 21st century. That's true. In 1913, Marshall Gardner wrote A Journey to the Earth's Interior and then published an expanded edition in 1920. And he, this included maps of the hollow earth, and he once again uh, theorized that there was a sun in the earth's interior. And he tried to 
built, and he built a working model of the hollow earth, which he then patented. So most replicas of hollow earth that you see now are the addition that was made by Gardner. The explorer Ferdinand Osendowski wrote a book in 1922. So again, you can see early 20th century, this was, this was like a popular theory, um, titled Beasts, Men, and Gods. And Osendowski mentioned in his book um, that he was told about a subterranean kingdom that exists inside the earth. But like, essentially he was like, but you aren't privy to that information. In 1964, a book was published written by Dr. Raymond Bernard, which ended up being a pseudonym um, of a man who was not a doctor. Um, and his book exemplifies um, <laughs> sort of the intersection of the hollow earth theory and the alien craze in the 1960s. And he was the one that first proposed the idea that UFOs were coming from inside the earth. Um, he also hypothesize that the ring nebula do you know what that is the ring nebula it's, is it like it's a, a circular it's a nebula, nebula in space um in in a constellation that's far away and it, it looks weird um but he thought that the ring nebula essentially proved the existence of the hollow earth Oh, because there are like circular patterns all around the universe. Yes, because it because yeah. it had such a clear like outer and inner layer, and it was a star. So he was like, "Yep, this proves that it's possible." Yeah, and he also speculated on um, the possibility that Atlantis could have gone into the hollow. <laughs> I just get so filled with joy anytime Atlantis is brought up in any way. Now, <laughs> me too. Me too. There I didn't hear about it at all before this podcast, and that's one of my favorite now, things. Now it's a passion of mine. <laughs> um, <laughs> there are two more things related to Hollow Earth that I will bring up, and one is that um, another Hollow Earth theory is that um, we, you might be familiar, you might not, and we should absolutely talk about it one day, with the theory that Hitler was not killed. He was, um, he was by the Russians, he was taken away, um, and he just went into hiding for the rest of his life. There are people that believe this, and there are hollow earthers that believe that he was taken into the hollow earth, and that Nazis had overthrown the hollow earth, because in the years following World War II, there was an expedition to Antarctica by the military, and 80 men mysteriously died. They're like, it's so mysterious that they died. It's like, in Antarctica, it's really not. <laughs> it's very dangerous down there. Um, and they said that it had been a boating and plane accident that had killed them, but the hollow earthers think that they got too close to the entrance in Atlantis and they were attacked by Nazis. And that the Nazis have so now fortified my Earth. question is, do they think the Nazis have, like, unlocked immortality? Because if Hitler was so still alive, think- he'd be 122 years old or something like that. No, he's not. He wouldn't be alive. He, they don't think he's alive now, but they do think that they arranged his escape into the hollow earth. Now, amongst, oh, okay. again, there, there are people who just believe in the hollow earth, and then there are sort of like people that keep going to the extreme. Pretty extreme. Hollow earthers also think that the aliens that lived down there gave the Nazis advanced technology that allowed them to thrive in Europe and take over so much of Europe so quickly. And it it is generally known that the Nazis had very good technology, but some people believe mm. that it was given to them by a higher being. 
and hollow earthers specifically think that the Nazis were in cahoots with the subterranean people. So not only are there subterranean creatures, the subterranean creatures are Nazis. I don't know. I think if the last (laughs) few years have taught us anything, it's that it's easier than you think for horrible people to take power and control a large group of people. That is true. That is true. I mean, I'm not saying that the subterranean yeah. people aren't Nazis. There are a lot more people, there are a lot more Nazis out there than you think, but it seems a little far-fetched. The final piece that I will mention is that there is this Admiral, Admiral Byrd, who also reportedly, uh, he was a naval officer and explorer, and he apparently found and entered part of the of the Hollow Earth. Um, and in uh, Hollow Earthers claim that a secret diary of his was discovered. Um, and there's a book about it. It's called The Secret Lost Diary of Admiral Richard E. Byrd. And that in this diary, he describes um, what he found there and saying that he found caverns and large creatures. And he went to, he was on this Antarctica expedition. Caverns um, and creatures of creatures of plenty. Oh my gosh. Um, and just, he just said very, very odd things that people are like, well, what else could he mean except that he found a hole and he looked in it and it was the inside of the earth? Like, they were like, what else could he possibly he mean? found a hole and he looked in it. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's speculated if this diary is even real, if this was his diary, if this was a fabricated yeah. piece of evidence. Bird died in, in 1957 and this has sort of only recently come to their attention. So it, it's hard to know. But that that's really the basis of the hollow earth theory. Briefly, this is how we know that it's it's not possible. We know that the earth isn't hollow because of the Schihalian experiment. This is a French word and I don't want to say it. Schihalian. 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 The scally. I'm going to say the scallion experiment. The no, scally. <laughs> French eludes me. I was having a conversation with somebody recently and they were like, I'm trying to decide what romance language to learn. French seems like the easiest to pronounce. And I was like, that sounds like the absolute hardest. Italian, I would say, is the easiest to pronounce because the vowels. I would say Spanish. Spanish also seems like pretty simple to pick up. But Italian, I found much easier than French in terms of pronunciation. Going back to the Scallion experiment. um, This is how we know that the Hollow Earth doesn't exist. In 1735, Pierre Bouger and Charles-Marie de la Condamine um, chartered an expedition from France to the Chimborazo volcano in Ecuador. And when they arrived there, they climbed the volcano, this was in 1738, and conducted a vertical deflection experiment at two different altitudes. And they did this to determine how the mass of an object at those two altitudes, effect, was affected by gravitational pull. It took them 10 oh. years to write this paper because we know that the gravity of something higher in the atmosphere is different than the gravity of something lower in the atmosphere. This, in, this eventually led to them calculating the mass and density of the Earth by using complex math equations that I don't really understand. But because of this... We, he falsified the hollow earth theory. Later, okay. 
1772, about 40 years later, Neville Maskelyne proposed to repeat the same experiment for um, England. These two had done it for France, the Royal Society of Science. And within the same year, um, that a committee to do so was formed and they sent a scientist named Charles Mason um, to do the same experiment. Um, and Mason found the Shehalion Mountain, Skihalion Mountain, Scallion Mountain, whatever you want to say it. Um, and he repeated the experiment again, but because the altitude of that mountain was higher and there was more, there's a bigger difference, um, there were more places they were able to take it, he had even greater success in proving um, the relationship between gravity and density and a lot of physics things that I don't really understand. And he improved upon the Chimborazo experiment and yielded great results um, that now has effectively proven that the earth is dense. And this way, uh, the earth has density to it and it's thick the whole way through. It's thick the whole way through. Which then eventually led to the hypothesis about the inner core, outer core, mantle, crust. That sounds like a book about body positivity. Thick the whole way through. Thick the whole way through, like me. Um, so that that is my that is my poor man's description of this Shialion experiment because I don't I never take in physics. I don't understand physics. I don't know science. Um, but I feel like the that- subtitle of this podcast could be "We're not scientists." Right. I'm not a scientist. We say it a lot. I'm really into the humanities. <laughs> even, when you, even, when, even when you give me a science topic, I still like go at it from a humanities perspective. Like you were like hollow earth conspiracy. Let me tell you about who wrote about it. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's the best I can do. Um, but sometimes your best is your best. That's really all I have for you on the hollow earth. All I have that ended up being longer than I thought. That's it in a nutshell. Thank you so much. That was so cool. I've never heard about that. I think in Doctor Who, there's like a like a a group of beings that live inside there that I can't think of the name of them now, but they look vaguely like dinosaur people. Um, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at YKWIBW Podcast. You can check out our website, I've been wondering.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. And finally, if you have something that you've been wondering, you can email us at I've been wondering podcast at gmail.com and we would love to put it on our show. Jane, you know what I'm wondering? <laughs> well, I don't know why I said like that. You know yes. What, well, you know what I Well, you said it like a song. I loved it. Oh, thank you. Um, oh, so I've been wondering, because we were kind of talking about it, why America uses the imperial system and not the metric system? And, wh- like, how did the two individual systems form? And, like, why does England use the metric system for measurements, but they also use miles? That's weird. They do? Yeah. I thought, I thought they used kilometers. No, they use miles, but they but they do measure things in like meter. They do like measure regular things in meters, but they just use miles. It's like the only part of the imperial system they use. Maybe it's just because of their relationship with us that I don't know forced them to like no mile. I don't know. I, I, in my head, I'm still like weird? I feel like English uses kilometers, but I can no. Be they use miles. Will, okay, I'll look into it. I'm we'll find out. There. You have been there, that's true. <laughs> Canada uses kilometers, though. 
I really want to go. We can go after the pan- after the pan- panini. We can go after the panini. After the pan fried Tuscan steak. Accent <laughs> might not be a thing. I made up food words. Oh, um. After the Pandora's box. After the Pangea okay. is our form. After the Pangea. <laughs> okay, that's what I that's what I've been wondering. Okay. <laughs> okay. Sarah, do you know what yes. I've been wondering? What have you been wondering? <laughs> what are the, what were the emu wars? Ooh. I'm a good person to talk about this. I have no emu- idea what this is. I've just heard it mentioned in passing. Great. Other, and you the only context the I have of it is that one time we met an ostrich that hated you. <laughs> it was an emu, not an ostrich. It was an emu. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, that emu hated my gut. So I'm a good person to talk about this. He was ready to swear up. (laughs) He was. Um, So I'm a good person to talk about this because we have, emus and I, we have history. You did nothing to offend them. We just like walked up to an emu enclosure once and this emu was literally like that, that, there she is. And the zookeeper was like, they're very aggressive. They, they don't like people. We didn't go anywhere near, we kept out of his way, but literally like, it was like a central enclosure to the entire zoo. And as we walked around, he followed us and it was not like he was looking at us. He was looking at Sarah. He was, he was, he was, he was ready to fight her. Yeah, well, that's I'm excited to talk about that. That's what's coming at you next week. Thank you so much for listening. This is, you know, what I've been wondering.